Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister speaks with the U.S. President-elect. I was pleased to congratulate uh, President-elect Biden on the weekend. We will continue to work uh, with the current American administration until uh, January 20th. Uh, after which we'll work with the new administration. Hope is sparked by a promising announcement on a possible COVID-19 vaccine. Right now we know that what the company will do very likely, in fact, I'm certain they'll be doing it, is putting in soon, within the next week and a half or so, for an emergency use authorization and ultimately for ultimate approval of the vaccine. And a Toronto area MP resigns from the Liberal caucus. The swift justice she got was not just for the employment of her, but the hiding of it. In other words, she'd already acknowledged it was wrong and was doing it anyway, so she's out. It's Tuesday, November the 10th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political story this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Mark, as always. So Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau spoke yesterday, uh, and we know that the detention of two Canadians in China came up. Uh, There was some optimism expressed by, some cautious optimism expressed by some people around the issue yesterday. Uh, What do we know about the discussion between the Prime Minister and the President-elect? Well, you know, the, the readout of the call, which is, you know, the uh, the normal thing that is, is distributed, makes me want to ask, what didn't you talk about? You know, the, the list I have here is they talked about the pandemic, climate change, trade, the two Michaels in China. Uh, they talked about energy, which is um, code for Keystone, which we can talk about in a second. They talked about Black Lives Matter, which is not a subject that you would imagine that Donald Trump and Trudeau talked about all that often. So uh, there's there's symbolic significance in this call because it was the first, um, and there is substance in this as well. I don't think they solved any of the world's great problems yesterday when they spoke, but they um, people close to the prime minister tell me that, that the overwhelming feeling during the call was normality. And after four years of abnormality, uh, the the idea that they were just having a normal conversation with the U.S. president-elect was was progress in itself. So I, I don't know that, that you know, the, the ambassador talking about cautious optimism about the two Michaels, I think cautious optimism is sort of the, the working principle at the moment. Sure. And look, nothing was going to get accomplished uh, and and reach a finish line in that initial phone conversation. That's not the way it works. He's not the president yet. So it really is just just a, a connection and kind of a starting point. Um, and we can talk about Keystone in a moment, but is there reason to believe that the United States could actually help Canada with regard to the two Michaels, the two Canadian men who are detained, imprisoned in China, that there could be a different approach moving forward with a different administration? Well, you know, let's be fair to Donald Trump, because the poor man is is having a bad few days there. Uh, Donald Trump said he would and did um, raise the issue of the detention of the two Michaels with China. How forcefully he did it, we don't know. How often he did it, we don't know. But Canada did secure 
some agreements from Trump now and then to to raise this issue. But I think I think what what we'll probably see because the, the detention is hooked into an awful lot of other issues, which were basically Donald Trump's trade wars with China and and his aggression toward China on the world stage. I don't think you're going to see Biden do that. The big question is, is Biden go, going, what's going to happen with the extradition of Meng Wanzhou? That's, that's related to this, right? And is Biden going to ease up on that? That would, China's contention is that Canada got dragged into this to please Donald Trump. Is that, where does that argument stand if Donald Trump is no longer there? There's going to right. be a really interesting discussion in the, you know, the, the days following Biden's uh, inauguration, if not in the days just before. So let's talk about Keystone and also uh, the pos- the prospect of protectionism in the U.S., because a lot of people have pointed out that just because Joe Biden is president doesn't mean, and, and that most Canadians would prefer him as president, as polls have shown, and that the, the Canadian government, being a liberal government, would rather work with a Democrat than Donald Trump. Uh, or perhaps almost anyone else in the world than Donald Trump uh, on some days, uh, that uh, setting all that aside, that there are issues on which uh, Joe Biden may actually be less friendly to Canada, uh, not in temperament, but in policy, uh, including Keystone and and some trade issues. So what should we make of that at this moment? I like the way Aaron Wary described it in his um, column on CBC, I think this morning or yesterday, where he called it the second death of Keystone. Well, remember that Obama killed Keystone. Much as that Canadians loved Obama and this government loved dealing with Obama, they did not see eye to eye on that. There's no reason to think that Joe Biden is going to be, he has said that uh, he's going to kill Keystone as well. So, um, I heard last week, and it was from another reporter, uh, so um, it's sort of a secondary source, that, that the government has, has asked James Rajat, the Alberta's representative in Washington, to start working the phones and start talking already, because it isn't just going to be Joe Biden. They've got to... Canada has a whole new dynamics to deal with, they think, uh, with the uh, with Congress as well, so I think the work has already begun to kind of soften up the Biden administration on Keystone. But whether that will be, there's no reason to believe that Biden's going to be any more open to Keystone than Obama was. So, as Aaron said, maybe it's going through a second death. Um, protectionism is a huge issue in the United States, and it has been historically more for Democrats because of their um, their union support and. Uh, the unions are very big on on America first and by America, and Biden uh, is conscious of that. And we, though, here in Canada are having a little bit of our own Canada first uh, surge or sentiments because of the pandemic. I think Canadians, you're going to see, you, you hear it, the premier's talking it up. You even hear it from the federal government. It's time to get some of our manufacturing back here so that we're not dependent on global supply chains. So the the way that conversation with, with Biden could be interesting is if Canada and the United States had a North America first. I am told as well that this is what the embassy down in Washington, our embassy down in Washington, has been working on, is this idea, look, if we're going to get, you know, 
um, more protectionist or more our own nations first, why don't we do it together? Why doesn't Canada and the U.S. work on their own supply chains like they've done with the Auto Pact and all kinds of other uh, agreements that that we we can be North America first? Right. All right, let's touch quickly on a couple of other topics. Uh, first of all, uh, the talk of a vaccine. Uh, there's there's optimism being expressed about uh, about a vaccine perhaps being available in the first quarter of 2021. What's the latest from the federal government on that? It appears as though Canada is set up to be purchasing that particular vaccine, but there are a lot of logistics involved in in collecting and administering millions and millions of vaccines in a short period of time. Oh, huge. This is First of all, we should say this is huge news, though, too. I like the way Boris Johnson described it. He called it the bugle of the scientific cavalry that, uh, that you know, I, I think, Everybody was using light at the end of the tunnel yesterday. Definitely, we are we are seeing a vaccine that is going to be rolled out. Mass, though, as you pointed out, is one issue. Canada's in line to get 20 million doses of this. Every Canadian needs two shots, and there are 40 million Canadians. So do the math. We're going to need more vaccines, maybe not this vaccine. We're also in line for seven others, I believe, and they're rolling along. Uh, Trudeau went off, as he does from time to time, sort of geeking out yesterday in his uh, getting technical and describing this, the temperature at which this vaccine needs to be stored makes transporting it an issue and speed in getting it out an issue. But Canada, like every other country, is talking right now, OK, look, we'll get this first dose. It, uh, Britain is saying by Christmas, Canada is saying we'll have it. Um, probably early in the new year. Trudeau is being very careful about timing. Yeah. And the first people get it will be high-risk Canadians, um, people in long-term care, and healthcare workers, of course. Right. So, it, you know, the lineup is going to be long, and uh, we're seeing that with the flu vaccines, too. Yeah. Um, uh, but but it is it is huge news, and we should be happy about it. All right. Finally, uh, let's speak briefly about the fact that a Liberal MP or, or a, an MP from the Toronto area, Yasmin Ratsani, has left the Liberal caucus because it turns out she has been employing her sister in her constituency office. So uh, what's at the heart of this story and what does it mean for the Liberals to lose a member of the caucus in Toronto? Yeah, that's kind of an alarming story altogether, but... Um I was surprised with the swift justice of it. I think uh, the media was, uh, to CBC in particular, was sniffing around and about this, uh, this story that's been, rumor that's been out there for a while, that Yasmin Ratansi employed her sister with taxpayers' money um, and was hiding it. And what I think uh, the swift justice she got was not just for the employment of her, but the hiding of it. In other words, she'd already acknowledged it was wrong and was doing it anyway. So she's out. Uh, the Liberals, um, though in a minority position, are not so precarious a minority that losing one is going right. to be a problem. And Yasmin Ratansi will probably... She's a loyal Liberal. She was defeated in the 2011 election. Uh, she's from the Don Valley area, then uh, came back in 2015. So um, she's a loyal Liberal. Uh, 
I, God knows why she thought it was a good idea to do what she was doing. Uh, but uh, she has uh, she has felt the, the arm of swift justice that often happens when Trudeau is angry at his caucus. We've seen mm. this happen before, and it's not three strikes you're out, it's one strike you're out, and she's out. All right. Susan, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Canadians woke up to very encouraging news from Pfizer and BioNTech about their vaccine Canada. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star calls on governments to make sure everything is in place for a COVID-19 vaccine. The Star writes, If the news from Pfizer turns out to be as positive as it seems, a vaccine could be available to Canadians as early as the first quarter of next year. The task at hand for governments is to make absolutely sure that systems are in place so that a vaccine can be administered to people as soon as it's available. That means doing the work now, regardless of the cost, so that the distribution systems and logistics are ready. This must be top priority. In the Globe and Mail, Besma Momani argues not all world leaders are excited for a change in the U.S. administration. Momani writes... For some, Joe Biden signifies a return to Obama-era preaching about human rights, a renewed commitment to multilateralism, and a restoration of Chinese appeasement policies in exchange for short-term U.S. trade gains. For the international leaders who might have gotten comfortable with the trajectory of the last four years of discord, a Biden administration might now represent a Trump-sized system shock of its own. At Policy Magazine, Lisa Van Dusen considers America's post-Trump peace process. Van Dusen writes, As America shakes off its Trumpian bender and emerges into a saner reality, a heartbreaking number of voices have urged their fellow citizens to take a cue from Joe Biden's skill set and empathize. At their victory rally, Biden and Kamala Harris presented hope simply by carrying the stories of so many others within themselves onto that stage. That should make the process of healing America, if not simple, at least less daunting than it otherwise would be. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. A new interparliamentary association will hold a first virtual meeting with concerned groups around the world. Today, CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on a task force against anti-Semitism. Mark, the group is called the Interparliamentary Task Force to Combat Online Anti-Semitism. It was only formed about a month ago, but it brings together parliamentarians from provincial legislatures in Canada, federal MPs, as well as parliamentarians from the United States, the UK, Australia, and Israel. Their common goal is to combat the starting point of most anti-Semitic hate, the internet, and to try to get common legislative ways to address the problem. Their main focus is trying to get legislatures to develop common rules, common legislation, to hold major online platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, and Google to be more accountable for the hate content they allow to be disseminated. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will start the day speaking with the Mayor of Calgary, He will then be joined at a news conference by Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley, Minister of Public Services Anita Anand, and Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will make an announcement in support of veterans' organizations. Middle Class Prosperity Minister Mona Fortier will take part in a virtual town hall meeting hosted by the Mississauga Board of Trade. Small Business Minister Mary Ng 
will meet with an Aurora, Ontario small business to speak about the CAN export program. Minister of National Revenue Diane Le Boutelier will hold a conference call to announce support for the Quebec fisheries and aquaculture industry. Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie will make a virtual announcement in Hamilton, Ontario. International Development Minister Karina Gould will make an announcement in support of the Great Lakes. Minister of Women Mariam Monsef will attend a live-streamed infrastructure event. And Governor-General Julie Payette will take part in the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada Awards during a virtual ceremony. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, November the 10th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns on Thursday morning after Remembrance Day. Have a great day.